Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 12. Verse 12. And I want to talk to you about how to be bulletproof in the last days. I want you to know that when you talk about these types of subjects, a lot of people uh, have a lot of fear surrounding end times in the last days. A lot of people think destruction. Uh, they think fear. But the Bible says that we talk about this and we're to encourage one another in these things. If you really look at the book of Revelation, it's a book of a revelation, not of an event, but it's a revelation of the person, Jesus Christ. That's what the book is about. It's revealing him not as we've seen him in the New Testament where he came. He lived a sinless life. He died a horrible death, rose again from the dead. What the picture that we get in the book of Revelation is how he is today, not how he was then, but how he is now. And he's introduced as the triumphant lamb. And when you look at the book of Revelation, you see in the end a victorious church. You see a victorious Savior. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, there is great hope attached to it. But a lot of people get discouraged specifically by the tribulation period. It seems like God is kind of rough on people somewhat. It seems like he's a little, you know, kind of going for people a little harder than what the picture up to this point. We, you know, have Jesus as just kind of this nice, lovey-dovey kind of, but in Revelation, when you get to the tribulation, it seems like he's kind of changing a little bit. He's shifting things a little bit, but he's actually not. The word tribulation, if you look up the etymology of that word, it begins as a Latin word without going into all the, the words I can't pronounce anyway. Uh, just Google etymology of the word tribulation, and you can look, find this pretty easily. But it's a Latin word, and it means to rub, to turn, to twist, or to pierce. And it's speaking specifically of a tool called a threshing sledge. So when you think about the tribulation, the imagery that we get is that of a harvesting tool that removes the husk from the grain. It rubs it, it wears away, and it grinds away until the hardened external shell around the grain is removed. And so this is the final stage of the harvesting process. So tribulation is not about punishment. Tribulation is a last day harvesting tool in the hand of God. And what God wants to do is he's speaking about uh, the last day condition of people's hearts. The Bible says that in the end times or the last days, the heart of many will grow cold. We know that it says that your conscience will be seared with the cot a hot iron. And so the idea is in the last days, we will struggle more and more to keep our hearts sensitive towards the things of God, with just the pressures and the attitudes of people in the last days, that it will be more and more difficult to not be hardened and callous towards the things of God. And so the Bible says that after the church has done all it can do, it's preached the gospel into all the world. It's given people an opportunity to receive Christ, to hear the gospel. Then the Bible says at that point, 
God will move into the tribulation period. And some people say, well, will we go through it? I'll get to that in just a second. But he introduces it as his final way of winning souls and reaching people that are far from God. If you want to know what the tribulation is all about, it's God personally getting involved like never before in the winning of souls, specifically the hardest of hearts, the most calloused of hearts. God in the tribulation is going to do everything he can to get through to those people. This is an important thing because in California where the redwoods uh, grow, the, the large redwoods, one, one season they found that the redwoods were not growing like they needed to be and were in jeopardy of becoming extinct. And what they discovered was that the rangers had become so efficient and effective at putting out forest fires just through the technology advancements. They could see where the lightning uh, struck very quickly. They had the technology to get to the point where the fire had started very, very rapidly. And so they were putting the fire out. They thought it was a positive thing, a good thing by getting to where the fire was and putting it out. But what they found out was they became so sophisticated and so good at putting out the fires that before that technology had appeared, they, uh, the fire would begin, the lightning would strike, the, the fire would begin to take off. But, but by the time they had got to it, it had burned hotter and hotter and hotter. And as a result, it would take that seed and the husk around that redwood seed and it would burn it off. If the fires did not reach a certain temperature, that husk around the redwood seed would not burn off. And as a result, the, the seed would not be germinated by the soil and there wouldn't be a new season or a new generation of redwoods. And the reason there was no new generation of redwoods was because the hardened external shell had never been burned off. And so the point is simply this, in the church, we have to be very careful that we don't become so sophisticated and fancy. We think that we can do this without the fire of God. And the way that God introduces us to the fire, of course, that's how he bursts the New Testament church, right? He pours out his spirit. The Bible says like a mighty rushing wind, he comes into uh, the upper room where they were gathered. Divided tongues is a fire set on each one of them. This is the fulfillment of what John the Baptist said Jesus was coming to do. And that was to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And a lot of Christians think that we can do what God's called us to do without fire, without some heat, without being hot for God. But when it comes to the preaching of the gospel, the gospel is not effective at breaking the hardened hearts uh, open and getting to the seed of people's soul without making sure there's some fire in the gospel that we preach. There should be fire in our worship. There should be fire when we reach the next generation. There should be fire behind our evangelism. There should be everything that we do should be saying, God, keep us hot, burning hot, especially in the last days. So God will do all he can to get to people's hearts and then it'll shift into the tribulation where through just intense judgments that God will pour out on the earth, it'll be his final effort to burn off the husk of indifference, to burn off that hardened heart by this world, to get involved and really take our lives and put them on the threshing floor and begin to break us open and make us sensitive to God again. What we will know is that anytime you read about fire in the Bible, it somehow or another, though it appears very difficult, 
though it appears very challenging, though it even feels, feels at times like God has withdrawn his presence from a person, God always draws closer to people during the fires of life. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, the Bible says when they looked in there, there was a fourth man. So they got closer to God as a result of the fire. They were closer to one another as a result of the fire. And ultimately, the Bible says they were thrown in bound, but he saw them walking around free. So what we can know about the tribulation, number one, it is going to be a time God wants to draw closer to people than ever before. It is also a time where we'll have to draw closer to one another if you are still here, and it's also a time, it's a wonderful time, not just to draw closer to one another, but to be free from the things of this world. So will we go through the tribulation? Will we go through it? We talked about how in the very first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the word church is mentioned between 18 and 23 times. After the third chapter in the book of Revelation, you do not read about the church again until we're in heaven. So there is the belief that the church is no longer here, that we're gone, that the church has been raptured and we've been taken. There's great emphasis on this to me throughout the scripture and that God has not appointed us to wrath, which is what the tribulation is about, is about God pouring out his wrath. Of course, it's to get people saved, but it's ultimately a, a, a judgment on the earth. So in my opinion, my prayer is that God will remove us, take us out before the tribulation. However, I want to talk to those of you who are not going to be right with God when Jesus takes the church, or maybe he just decides to let us go through the tribulation. You say, well, are you saying we will? No, I'm saying my prayer is that we're gone. But if we're here, you might want to know how to get through it. So we'll talk about that uh, real briefly. You say, well, I'm not going to be here. I don't want to know. Well, then just enjoy it. So chapter six is where the book of Revelation turns. It takes a pretty severe turn and it defines three different judgments that God pours out on the earth. Each of these judgments has seven parts to it. You have the seals judgment is first. Secondly, you have the trumpet judgment. And thirdly, you have the bowls of wrath judgment. So there's seven judgments or seven parts to each of the three judgments. So 21 total judgments that goes on over a seven year period of time. During the seals judgment, the first thing that happens is the Antichrist shows up on the scene. He is a person. He will come out of Europe is what the Bible says. And his ability to unify the world will be unparalleled by any world leader before him. Up to this point, the world is continuing to be at our throats. The Bible says that there will be wars, uh, ethnicity or, or uh, the, the way that it says is nation against nation, but that word nation is ethnicity or race. So more than ever before, you can see the racial tension. This is a sign of the end times, that that's increasing, that that's getting greater and greater and greater. We, we want to make it about race, and it's fine if you want to do a little bit of that, but don't forget to remember our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. There is a demonic agenda to get us to see color instead of see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm not saying there's not differences and God did those and God made us that way. However, more than ever before, we got to make sure that we keep our hearts focused on what God calls us to be and who he calls us to be. So we don't jump onto the enemy's side in the end times. The Bible says that, that not only will there be 
those type of things. But the Bible says that the continual stress and um, battle in the Middle East, this world leader will be able to bring a peace treaty to that, which I think is interesting because it says that that has to take place before Solomon's temple or the temple can be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. Up until today, this would have been very difficult to have happen. One, we weren't even, Israel wasn't even a nation until 1948, faced a great war in 1967. In 2015 and 16, they begin making the articles that will go into the temple. This is easy to Google, but all the articles, the table of showbread, the menorah, all the different furnishings that will, that will go into the temple are already made or being made and they're stored. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of people for the first time ever over the last several years have been allowed on the Temple Mount. So Jewish people are on the Temple Mount worshiping and praying in the hundreds and the thousands. And this is to precede the building of Solomon's temple. Once again, again, this is a sign that we are in the last days. In every judgment, the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, God is giving people an opportunity to be rescued. Each judgment, God is pleading out to the hearts of humanity to come back to him, to no longer run from him, to not resist him, but to come back to him. In the seven seal judgment, 144,000 Jewish people at least get saved. They become the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen. A mighty revival breaks out and occurs and the number of people that get saved during that revival is they cannot even count it. They didn't put a number to it. That's how significant that revival will be. Then those 144,000 people are martyred. They're not just martyred for preaching Jesus and saying they love Jesus and singing songs. They're martyred because they actually take this book and this is God's word. And they, in an uncompromising way, say this book is how I guide and lead my life. This is the word of God. This is God's word to us. And the people that hang on to it the Bible says they kill them, not just for saying they love Jesus, but they kill them for saying they love this book. So we should grow close to the not the way you grow close to God is through his word. Can't separate him from his word. Come on. Then there's seven trumpets. This is where it gets increasingly worse. There's two witnesses that show up on the earth. Some believe it's Moses and Elijah. Others, Enoch and Elijah. Nonetheless, they are there and they are uh, confronting the Antichrist, they end up being killed. The whole world watches these two witnesses as they're laying in the city streets on live TV or on, on phones, which again, this technology was not available till the last several years, where in real time, the whole world will be watching these two witnesses, not a recording, not through a, a delay. In real time, we will watch these two witnesses lay in the streets for three days. And after three days, they'll be resurrected. When they're resurrected, the people will get mad at the Antichrist. They'll turn on the Antichrist. This will make way for the false prophet to show up. When the false prophet shows up, he makes a statue of the Antichrist and he puts that statue in the temple. And again, this is a final sign to us of God is getting ready to come back. Jesus is coming back. Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 explains that. And all of this precedes the taking of the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is a mark that many people believe will be a computer chip in your hand or in your forehead. It's been talked about for many, many years. I'm not trying to be a broken record. I'm not trying to be redundant. But you could look, Google, 
Bill Gates, and he invested $200 million in the technology. This technology is not coming. It is here on these microchips. Everything about you is on these microchips. Everything about you, everything you've ever Googled, every conversation you've ever had, every, every text message you've ever had, that information is stored, and it will go onto that little disk. Everywhere you go, you will be tracked, and without this, you cannot buy and you cannot sell, and they will tell people the, the reason they have to take it is for peace and safety. We cannot have peace without this and we cannot be safe without this. And people by the droves, including Bible believing Christians, will laugh at sermons like this and will laugh at messages like this because they'll just be so woke by the culture that they'll push away from the Bible and push away from God's word and his warnings and they'll take the mark as a result. And the Bible says the reason they will do this is because of the sin of arrogance. In Revelation chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, the final judgment, the last judgment that God pours out on the earth. And again, see this. There's been seven years that have gone by, seven years inside of each one of the judgments. There's seven different moments that God is pleading for people to get right with him. He's 21 different times. He's calling out to people to soften their heart. 21 times he's calling out to people to to not be hardened and to 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 be sensitive towards him 21 different times. And finally, people's arrogance grows and it grows and it grows. And the last judgment is poured out. The Antichrist will rally the rest of the world to go to war against God. They'll come from every nation around the earth. They'll meet in Jerusalem. They'll go to the beautiful valley called the Valley of Jezreel or uh, real or Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. And the army that is there waiting to go to war against God will be made up of all the hardened people that refused to repent after every effort God had made over those seven years, over and over and over. God is pleading to them to come. The spirit and the bride are crying out, come, but they'll refuse to do it. And as a result, in the end, result, in the end their pride will cause them to go to war against God. The Bible says Jesus gets on a horse. We will gather behind him and we will go to this battle. Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 and 20, we learn several things. But the most important thing we learn about the tribulation is that God is constantly requesting that we humble ourselves, that we soften our hearts and not run from him, but run to him. Our job is to say, okay, God, we want to run to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 12 says this. It says, if you cannot run with the footmen, what chance do you have of dealing with the horses? In other words, if you cannot deal with the easier trials and struggles of life, how do you really think you're going to deal with the real ones? And what we've been experiencing over this last season in the earth is some tremors. The pandemic is a tremor. Watching Russia and Ukraine is a tremor. The threats of nuclear war is a tremor. It's a tremor. It's all just the earth is tremoring. We're, we're getting signs and we're beginning to see all kinds of things happen. It blew my mind that during the pandemic, how to this day, many people that have lived their whole life loving God, they know God, they know his word, they know what he's called them to be. They, they, they've received his grace and his mercy. But just a few months of the pandemic, they, they started pulling. The Bible says there'll be this great 
falling away in the last days. And I've always wondered, how is that possible? How can there be a sudden great falling away like there was a great revival? And so much of it is attached to the way the enemy got us disconnected from one another, got us disconnected from church. And by the way, I'm just going to take a second and say this. I would never cancel another church service again. That doesn't mean you have to come. Hey, hey, you should take every hold on, hold on. You should take every precaution you should. And we none of us knew what was going on and we were all doing the best we can. And, and some of you are mad at a pastor and you're here because he took longer to get back than I did. Some of the people that used to go to this church felt like I took a little too long. So they're somewhere else, too. So none of us really did great. OK, so let's just take a second here. None of us did amazing. And I don't think that we sh I think we should be protective. I think we should be cautious. I think we I'm just saying for me as a pastor, one thing that I learned more than anything else is I can come in here and preach to an empty room. And if you want to come and sit over there and over there and over there, We'll figure it out. But my point, I'm trying to get to this. It was a pandemic that pushed us to where we're at. The church at large still is not back. The church at large is still in many ways struggling from just a few months of what that did. I know it took years, but you get what I'm saying. It's it's the indication that that they were saying you can't get dinner. You can't buy lunch. You can't do this. You can't do that. If you don't have this kind of card or this kind of thing, again, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And they force people corralling them like, like lambs being led to the slaughter. And none of this is new to us. It's all right here in this book. It mentions in revelation chapter six, four different horses that show up, which represent four different calamities that hit the earth. The white horse is deception. The red horse is war and terrorism. The black horse is economic collapse. And the decisions that we're making now around our world is leading us in that direction. The pale horse represents disease. So we've seen the four horses. And what Jeremiah said, if you cannot run with the footmen, how do you expect to run with the horses? If you cannot handle what is now, how do we think we're going to handle what's coming? So we have to get ready so we can be bulletproof in the last days. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, I didn't read it. I forgot to read it, but we'll go through it together. Are you ready? In verse 12, it teaches us to run with a covering. In the last days, you will need a spiritual covering. That's what pastors are. That's what the church is. That's what small groups are about. If you're a teenager, you'll need to stay close to your parents, to be very cautious, to think that your parents are stupid and they don't understand. If you have a spouse, that spouse is there to cover you. Uh, sometimes God will speak to your spouse about something when he's not speaking to you. And sometimes he'll speak to you. And, and so we need one another. We need to be covering one another. We need to be standing with one another. And that spiritual covering is going to help you run and be bulletproof in the last days. Number two is found in verse 14. It says to run with passion. If there's ever been a time we need to be passionate about the church, passionate about souls, passionate about the gospel, passionate about prayer, it is today. And if you're going to survive in the last days, stir up the passion that God's given you. Number three, in verse 15, it says you'll have to run with forgiveness. You'll have to be a person that refuses to grow bitter in the last days. Refuse, refuse to allow that bitterness to get a hold of your heart. 
Number four, in verse 16, you'll run with joy. Joy is not something that just comes to you. It is a choice you make. You make a decision to be filled with joy. Joy is something that comes from God. It's not something that comes from circumstances of life. This is why you can go through the worst of circumstances, but you can still have the joy of the Lord because my joy is not dependent on circumstances. My joy comes from God. Number five, you run with prayer. That's why we fast. That's why we pray. That's why we we're covering the season. Number six, you have to run with gratitude. Thankfulness is rare. I love the thought that out of the 10 lepers, only one returned back to Jesus to say thank you. So about 10% of people are thankful and grateful for what God's done in their life. The other 90% just do this and think, ah, oh, it's not that good of it, not that big a deal. He just died on a cross, just shed his blood, just as my sin, just kind of did that. You know, just gave me his spirit, same spirit that raised him from the dead. He gave it to me. It's like, it's kind of, so, you know. You know no, we're going to have to be grateful that God gave us his spirit. God gave us his word. God gave us a brand new beginning and chance. And he gave us beautiful people so we don't have to go at it alone. Number seven, run with power. Run with power, that's verse 19. Verse 21, run with wisdom. Test, you gotta test things. Run with wisdom. The wisdom of God is testing the spirits of our age and our time, watching how the enemy's working. Be cautious. Never been a time people are just being so influenced by things outside of God's word, but use wisdom. Number nine, run with holiness. You're going to have to stay pure in these last days. Be cautious when it comes to compromise. And then number 10, run with vision. Verse 24 says, he who calls is faithful. He who calls is faithful. Run with vision. This next season as a church, we, today we are preparing to go into at the movies next week. And then we have our heart for the house offering, and then we have Christmas. And between several uh, things that, that go on over the next, say, six weeks, eight weeks, we see the greatest number of people get saved in this next eight weeks. And we've seen that traditionally in our church for many, many years. And at the movies is something that we've done for so many years. And I'm, I always tell the church, I don't even really like at the movies. I don't like it. I don't want popcorn and pop at nine in the morning, okay? That doesn't happen to me. Now, tonight, I'm going to get some popcorn. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I, it's not a huge thing to me. But years and years ago, I learned it's not about me. And I learned to tell the people that just love church and just love like end time series kind of stuff. I learned to tell them too, hey, this is a month where we're going to not make it about you. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I really do. I think you'll be blessed by it. I think we'll have a lot of fun together there in Grant County, there in Anderson, online, uh, and then together here. We're going to have a great time, but it really is about you inviting someone that would not normally come to church. So when you come, I'm, I'm not talking about someone that attends another church. They won't like at the movies. It's going to help you out. They won't like it. But someone that doesn't like church, they'll come to a movie with a message. They will. They'll come to that when they would not normally come to church. It is a great tool. And Jesus said he would call, teach us to be fishers of men. And so get out that fishing pole. Go fishing. Go find someone that does not know Jesus this week and bring them with you. There in Grant County, go find someone that doesn't know Jesus and bring them with you. We're going to run with vision. We're going to run with vision. We're not going to sit back 
and say, well, they might do it or they might do it. No, we're going to take ownership of the time that we live in, of the place that God's called us, and we're going to win souls. We're going to join with Jesus, and we're going to win souls in this last days. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.